The Millennial Life Coach is a podcast of real-life, candid conversations about millennials navigating the ups and downs of adulthood. The podcast is hosted by Millennial Life Coach Jessica Knight, who is on a mission to help those in their 20s and 30s to break free from what society says they should be doing, accept where they are, and feel empowered and ready to create a life of their own. Hello, thank you for being here. Today I have a very special guest, Alicia Durham. Alicia is a money coach. Well, a financial coach, but my head a money coach. On this episode, we talk through her millennial life crisis, which she didn't name as that, but when you are suddenly a single mom in your 20s, you are certainly trying to figure out what am I doing with my life, how she got into the field that she's in now, and we talk through some smart money habits and approach the big scary word of budgeting. I really enjoyed this conversation with her and her perspective on money, and I really think that it will be helpful as you guide through and think about how you can better manage your money. Hi, Alicia. Thank you for joining me today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Can you tell us more about who you are and what you do? Yes. So I'm a personal finance coach. Um, I help people break the paycheck to paycheck cycle. A lot of Americans, uh, regardless of their income, they find that there is too much month at the end of their money. So I'm here to kind of help my clients get peace of mind with their finances and direct it as a tool towards living their best life. That's awesome. How did you get into this work? Yeah. So I've been helping people with money for many, many years. Of course, my journey started back 10 years ago when I became a single mom uh, to my precious daughter. She's actually 10 years old now. I know you're a single mom too. So yeah, she's, yeah, I know. <laughs> you might be able to relate to some of this, but I became a single mom, you know, from pregnancy on. And I was young and I was working a full time job. Actually, for the stage of life that I was in before that, it was a great job. It paid well. My friends were all <laughs> super jealous of me. But then, you bring a dependent along the way. And suddenly, I was having a really hard time figuring out how I was going to make ends meet. You know, you think about childcare costs, mm-hmm. food, uh, supplies for babies, like all of it. It just, my expenses were going to skyrocket. And I wasn't exactly sure how I was going to do it. Thankfully, I had a brother. I still have him. He's still my brother. (laughs) But I have a brother who he is a money nerd. He's a numbers guy. He's actually a calculus teacher now. But he was like, Alicia, I'll sit down and I'll help you kind of come up with a budget. And before this, I would be like, oh my gosh, budget. That's disgusting. No. But at this point in my life, it was like, I've got to figure something out. And so I was like, yes, let's get together. Let's figure out a budget. And we wrote out all of the expenses um, that I would likely have once my baby was born and all of the expenses that I have now that would continue. And it was actually quite frightening. I noticed that what I was bringing in really was not going to be enough just to really provide the basics for Mm -hmm. us. and. While I was incredibly frightened by this, at the same time, it brought me so much clarity 
And had I not sat down to do this, I would have been pretty reactive with my spending and just I envision being underwater and just treading and trying to get my head above. So it brought a lot of clarity to my situation. And thankfully, I ended up with a tax return that year that was exactly what I needed in order to hit zero with my budget. And really what that covered was living expenses, food, childcare, and transportation. But you know what? That was enough for me and was able to do that. Fast forward a little bit. My a man who is now my husband today, he actually entered my daughter and I's life. She was about four months old at the time. And I swore I would not date again. Yeah, like I would I, I was it was just <laughs> it was just gonna be me and my daughter. Her name is Presley. It was gonna be me and Presley until she went off to college. I wanted to have a sense of control and I felt like that was the best thing mm-hmm. as a mom for my daughter was just for it to be her and I, I felt like that would bring consistency and for her, it just felt right. You know, like when you're in a, yeah. in a space of chaos, you want to have control in something. So well, I, yeah. I was just to like, you know, validate, validate that and to like validate that feeling. Like, I mean, and a lot of my clients know this about me is that after when I became a single mom, I didn't date for two years, like, or mm-hmm. even I didn't even know that like a penis existed, you know, <laughs> during that time. I was so, all I cared about was taking care of my kid. And I still have a lot of Absolutely. that. You know, I have dated um, and have had partners since. But one thing that I remember, I mean, I, when you said the whole thing, like until she goes to college, like me and my daughter still, we joke around about this, but she's like, <laughs> you're going to live in my dorm, right? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to live in the dorm. She's like, I want to be your assistant. And I'm just thinking like, you'd be the worst assistant for me. You know, can you do this now? You know, <laughs> but you'd be in good company. So. I know. Exactly. Exactly. But like, it's I a big it. feeling of like, you know, if you just close off everything else and focus on this mm. one thing, it will all work out. But then, like you said, like man comes into your life and you're like, oh, yeah. Fuck. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's truly what, and I'm happy with the fact that I made that decision or declaration. It was just giving me a Presley. It did allow me to forget about all the other things and just focus on what it meant for me to be a single mom and all of that. But at the same time, yeah, it was maybe not realistic. And so he entered my life and for whatever reason, he saw something in us and pursued it. And I was like, okay, like he's not all that bad. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I did break up with him a few times just out of fear. I didn't want to, for Presley, even though she was a baby, I didn't want her to attach to him or whatever, or anything go wrong. So I was definitely very protective out of fear. But about six months into our relationship, I realized, oh, dang, Hmm. I think I love this guy. (laughs) Yeah. And he had told me early on he was in love with me, which I was like, that's crazy. But about six months in, I found out that I was in love with him and I was going to go ahead and commit. I was going to free fall. I was going to take a leap of faith and see where it led us. And again, even though Presley was a baby, I realized it was okay for her to experience me falling in love and even a heartbreak. And if there were going to be heartbreak for her to experience how I handled that. So Again, she's a baby, but this was how my mind was processing at the time. Fast forward a little bit. 
I surprised him to a trip to Boston. It was his birthday. He's from Boston. He mm. somehow got word that I was sending, I was planning this trip and he surprised me with an engagement Aww. there. And so when Presley was two years old, we got married, Stephen and I, my husband, now we were dating for about a year, year and a half. We got married. And so this guy, by the way, that I'm dating and then got engaged to, he was working at Starbucks and he was a shift supervisor at Starbucks mm-hmm. and going to school for photography. All things that I love about him. I love an artist. I love lattes now, now that I met him. Um, but I knew that this was by no means going to fix my financial situation. If we were to get married and work together financially, this was not really going to make much of a dent in anything. And I was okay with that because I had already learned how to manage my finances on my own with very little pay and had found contentment with that. I knew that I was guiding my finances to provide the best life that I possibly could. And I had peace in that for me and my daughter. And so I, you know, marrying Stephen, I was like, yeah, I mean, he loves Starbucks. He's going to be a photographer. Yeah, there are ways to make great money in photography, but it'll probably be a grind for a little while. And that's okay. I'm along for the ride. But he ended up getting a job in um, tech sales and it would require for us to move to Arkansas. I'm from Texas, grew up in Willtown. Well, it's not so little anymore, Cedar Park, near Austin, Texas. And it's where my family is. It's where my roots are. Um, But in order for him to start this career in something that he would likely blossom at and really love, we went ahead and the day after we got married, we moved to Arkansas. He started his job and it was him, me, and my daughter against the world. And his income promised to be double what I was making. And I was like, yay, I can be a stay-at-home mom. Like, What is even happening with my life? Dream come true. All of our financial struggles, they're gone. Forget budgeting. Don't need to do that anymore. We're free. And you probably know where this story is going. Mm-hmm. Um, about a year in, he gets his W-2 and I look at it and I was like, you made this much, but mm-hmm. why were we still struggling so much financially? Why was there still so much month at the end of our money? I don't understand. So I did. I went back and I just noticed, I looked at a lot of, at a lot of our bank statements and I noticed that we were spending a lot of money on things that weren't really aligned with our values. And it was a lot of reactive spending. And I was like, Man, like, why did we spend so much going out to eat? I love going out to eat. I don't think there's anything wrong going out to eat, but it was like double what I would have really valued going out to eat at. And also, Stephen had a lot of student loan debt, and I didn't realize how much those payments were. Like, really, I became incredibly hands off with our finances. Yeah. Um, it sounds like because like, you know, that at one point you had to be so, so, so hands-on with mm-hmm. everything that like, this was like a little bit of a break, but then when you yes. went hands-off, you're like, oh my God, like there's, I need to be like, I need to have a middle ground somewhere here. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so that's essentially what happened. Went, went back to the drawing board. I did decide to go back to work. I calculated that if I could work for one more year, we could have all of our debt paid off and that would free up a lot of cash flow for other things. And I could go back to being a stay-at-home mom. And that's exactly what we did. We paid off $30,000 in debt in just over a year. And to this day, no matter how much our income has gone up or anything like that, I am 
a major proponent of dreaming, never, never stop dreaming, never, never stop setting and reaching goals and never, never stop being intentional and aware of your finances. And so that's what led me to where I am today. I've got this redemption story financially and it lights me up and gives me so much life and joy walking alongside others as their redemption stories unfold. I love that. And you touched on, I think a lot of like aspects of that. And one, like where I want to start is like with that idea of budget, because I'm sure like you had to to return to a lot of building blocks that even though there was more money, there were new habits. There was another person. There was a lot of things change. Budget is a word that I've noticed clients either love or despise. The B word. Yeah. And so, and I, I'm like, you know, before we started this episode and we were just talking, I was thinking about budget because it was on my list of questions or it is on my list of questions. And like, I almost asked myself, what do I think about budget? And um, I really don't know, Mm -hmm. but I don't necessarily work off one. And so I want to hear just a little bit about like your relationship to budget now and how in being a financial coach, the idea of a budget Come like you know. I'm sure it's like one of the core building blocks to everything that that comes. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, budgeting will look different based on your different personalities. I recommend my clients. There are different ways to budget, and so I spend a lot of time just getting to know my clients before we even set our budget up. Getting to know what makes them tick. Getting to know what their personalities are like. I learn how they budgeted before, if they did it all, um, what they liked about their system, what they didn't like about it. And then we come up with a personalized plan for them. But the main thing that I think really scares people or not, didn't, maybe not even scares them. It just puts a bad taste in their mouth with budgeting is there's, you know, this, this misconception that a budget is going to restrict you. It's going to keep you from enjoying little things in life that really do mean a lot to people. There's this major narrative. Oh my goodness, this drives me absolutely crazy. If you would just stop drinking a latte every day, you would save XYZ amount of money per year. And sometimes I equate that to if you stop drinking this latte every day, I mean, if a latte means a lot to someone, it brings them joy in the morning, you would lose XYZ amount of joy (laughs) per year. And so I like to approach the budget as we're not looking at a budget to see what we can afford or if we can afford something. Instead, we're looking at a budget and we're saying, okay, there is something that I would like to purchase or I need to purchase even. And instead of asking my budget and looking at it and saying, can I afford this? We're going to look at the budget and we're going to say, how can we afford this? What are we willing to sacrifice in order to make room for this other thing that holds more value to you? Than something else. And I, I've noticed that there is such a beautiful shift in my clients when they're able to start having that kind of a relationship with their budget where it's not coming from a place of scarcity. It's coming from a place of, I'm actually the boss of you, budget. And I'm going to look at you and say, all right, you know what? I need to go buy tires or whatever it is this week. That means maybe I don't purchase, you know, some other thing that really doesn't matter as much to me. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Well, there's so 
I think his name is like Ramit Sethi. I might mm-hmm. be butchering it. I will teach you to be rich. Yeah. I read that book in uh, college. And one thing he said, like, I think like that latte example kind of comes up a little bit. And I remember reading that book and just thinking like, I don't want to take away the things that are really important to me that bring me joy. Yeah. I want to, there's other areas that I could do that, you know, like yeah. food is one. I'm not, mm-hmm. uh, some clients are big foodies. I'm not. And if mm-hmm. I have to eat the same thing every day, I'm likely fine. But if you take away my gym membership, I'm going to fall to pieces, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, So I think it sounds like the way that you work with people is like really trying to identify what are those things that make them really happy that and keeping those in and making space or creating space in areas that are not as like, they aren't those, they aren't like those trigger point areas. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I try to make it simple for them too. Um, A lot of people, I think another thing that people keeps a lot of people from budgeting is they envision having this long list of category items. I don't know if that's something you ever envision when you think of a budget, but it's like, okay, this is my grocery budget. This is my gas budget. This is my restaurant budget. This is my clothing budget. And it's just like, it, I mean, the list can go on. You you add kids to the picture and now you've got, this is their sports budget. This is their clothing, but like it never ending. And then they envision themselves tracking every little thing with each individual line item. And that's one thing that I just love to eradicate, like right off the bat. Um, We're not penny and diming every little thing that you're spending on every little thing that you've got. We figure out a very specific, calculated, intentional number for their day-to-day spending. And we say, you know what? This is your lump sum of money that if you stick within this fence of spending you know that you're going to be living a life, your best life, um, as best as you can with the resources that you have. And it's also not going to affect any of your future goals and it's not going to affect your bills. Um, yeah. So instead of every little line item categorizing everything, it's just, here's your lump sum of money. This is your freedom fence. Go on, you know, go through your month. You've got this. Don't worry about every little nickel at Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I lo- I think that's so helpful. I want to touch on limited beliefs in terms of money because I'm like mm. I, even the idea of budgeting can come with so many limited beliefs that people have about what it means, what it will do, the cause and the effects. What are some of the limited beliefs that you find clients or potential clients come to you with in regards to money? Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you my least favorite one. It really lights yes. a fire under me. <laughs> I actually did a YouTube video on this specific subject. And that is that budgeting is common sense. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. That absolutely drives me crazy. If it if it were true that budgeting were common sense, 80% of Americans wouldn't be struggling so much with their finances. Like a common sense thing is just something that most people understand, right? And so if someone believes this misconception that budgeting is common sense, but for whatever reason, they aren't able to figure it out. I can't imagine the kind of roadblock that would create for them to push forward and try to figure out a way to manage their money in a way that's going to be helpful for them and help them grow and reach their goals. It absolutely drives me nuts. That's one big roadblock that my clients come to me. They're like, I, it's supposed to be easy. Like, you know, it's elementary math, it's adding and subtracting and blah, 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 but it's not working for me. I don't get it. And 
I just hate the thought that a lot of them are like, it's common sense. I can't figure it out. So I never will. Because really, money management is like 20% numbers and 80% behavior. Can you say, so, yeah. can you explain more about that? I, I would love to like unpack that. Yeah. So everybody was raised differently. We all have different, we were given different examples um, from our parents on how they manage money. Even if our parents didn't specifically tell us what their spending was, like what their bank statements were or what their income is or whatever. We're growing up observing how our parents are spending money or whoever um, our caretaker is, how they're spending money. And so that plays a major role in our relationship with money moving forward. You know, when you are on your own, you have your own experiences, just handling money independently and gather information from that. And whether these are positive or or negative experiences, they can really shape um, our relationship with the money. And so I believe that that is the biggest roadblock for so many people is just realizing that the way that we were raised or anything that shaped our beliefs about money, those are going to be the things that we really want to dive deeper into and to discuss more and break down um, any potential lies that we have about ourselves Mm -hmm. um, or how we manage money. And that's where major breakthrough um, can come with our finances. Yes. Figuring out what your income is, what your bills are, what your spending is, what your debt number is, what your savings goals, those are huge. Um, But that's just simply information. That's not a behavior change. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that that's so helpful because I mean, that's essentially what like life coaching is too, is that you have to look at the whole person and everything that's underneath it and where you came from and, you know, the behaviors that you watched growing up and everybody seems to react in that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I love to say that, you know, a lot of people consider personal finance coaches as um, money um, money professionals. But I actually like to think of us as we're a branch of life coaching. So exactly mm-hmm. what you're saying, it's we're more of like a branch of life coaching than we are money managers. No worries. Yeah, definitely. I love that because I think like it's you know, I mean, I always like to think about people like I'm being on my team, especially as a single mom, you know, it's like I have my therapist, I have a life coach, I have, you know, um, a financial advisor, like I have these people that are on my team. And, I'm, you know, there's mm-hmm. other people there too, of these are all on my team helping me be the best me. And that's what I think that this is as well. Absolutely. Yes. It's like, how can you have somebody else, you know, who's on your team and on your side mm-hmm. and that? You could have these breakthroughs with that you can just feel so much more confident moving Absolutely. Forward. Yeah. And I would say, you know, for me, those people in my money journey have been my brother. And then Craig Dacey, who's my boss right now, he was my financial coach. Mm-hmm. Um when, you know, my husband and I were married. And golly, I I could not imagine going through that journey without having a coach on our side who could help us bounce ideas off of each other, uh, brainstorm with him, and even even provide us with um, knowing that, like, okay, we are doing all right. Like, we don't have to question 
this, this person's on the outside looking in, he's not emotionally involved in our financial situation. So he can look at it in a very apples for oranges, black and white way and say, things are good. Y'all don't need to worry. Or, Hey, you know, I think this thought process here, I think maybe we could do some shifting there. Let's yeah. dive into that. Let's see where that belief is coming from. Um, and, and it would maybe be beliefs that I had no idea were limiting me. So yeah, huge to have a team of people walk alongside you. Well, you know, I think it's one of the biggest parts or one of the biggest blockers is when somebody has so much shame about where they have gotten to with money, whether it's, you know, excessive spending or like running up credit cards or just not not paying attention to the numbers and then feeling really underwater. So if somebody comes to you and they are sort of in that shame spiral, but they have to make a change, Mm -hmm. um, what, what do you remind them? Yeah. So first thing I like to do is really dive into what's causing the shame, what specifically, um, might be causing the shame. And oftentimes they can't really pinpoint it. There's just this overall feeling of yuck. Um, And so I like to dive into that and take captive those things um, and speak truth to them because really shame is a major blocker in moving forward. And so we first like to attack the shame thing. Um, And then also I like to bring up the analogy and maybe you've heard this. um, I like to look at our past um, through a rear view mirror. The review mirror is small. It's important that it's there. It gives us information. It helps us remember, you know, what's behind us, where we're coming from. Um, but again, it's small. And what I really want to focus on, though, is that windshield, uh, which is our future. So gathering information from the past, things that really weren't working for us financially before. Let's go ahead and note those things down. Let's tackle any shame that might be. Um, attached to those things and eradicate that shame as best as possible. And let's now focus on the controllables. Let's focus on things that are in the future through that windshield and let's go attack those things. Yeah. Yeah. Like let's formulate a plan that's manageable and we we can approach them rather than running away from them. Absolutely. And remembering things that again, they weren't, they didn't work before. So we're obviously not going to continue trying things that were not working um, and shift it and just keep trying there. I mean, you've got to be able to make adjustments moving forward forever. Really? Yeah. Yeah. When somebody has like a big, like a say, actually, I'm going to ask a different question. Cause I think a lot of people actually, I've heard this so often around if somebody has a large amount of credit card debt, mm-hmm. which I don't know. Let's put a number. I would say like, let's put like a, in the neighborhood of $10,000 on that. Okay. And they have, let's just assume that they, you know, they go out, you know, a few nights, a, like maybe two nights a week with friends, they do order out. So they do have some spending that like can be shifted. What mm-hmm. do you think, what would be like an approach to handling that? I, I have a lot of, cl- I, I, I I almost can think of like literally 10 people that I work <laughs> with that like struggle with that issue, but there obviously yeah. is a block between like changing the behavior so then change the pro, you know, a little bit. Yeah. Um, but say that, but say that's a situation now they're open to change. What would you okay. say would be 
like some something that they could wrap their mind around to begin to address that large debt problem that is just like mm-hmm. a giant ball of shame in their life. Yeah, yeah. So of course, like you said, it starts with someone who's ready to make change. Um, they've hit that rock bottom and they're like, I'm done with this. I'm sick of seeing this $10,000 balance on my credit card. I'm tired of paying these interest payments. Um, I'm just done with it. I'm I'm Mm -hmm. sick of it. Okay, great. That's where we start. And then yes, we go look at their spending. Um, oftentimes even just by writing out, um, a client's income bills and spending, Oftentimes we actually find some wiggle room and, and it can be really surprising for so many clients are like, why, why when I write all this out, do I have so much leftover money? But again, I just feel like I'm living paycheck to paycheck or even less than paycheck. To, what is happening? So this tends to bring a lot of clarity and intentionality. And once they see this, this buffer of money, I'd say on average, we can actually find around $500. Um, Then we start to do the math and we're like, let's see if we put this $500 towards your credit card debt, how quickly you can get that paid off. And oftentimes they get so excited by that timeframe and decide, you know what, let's look at other areas and see if we can find some wiggle room in other areas that maybe you value less than your path towards getting this credit card paid off. And I mean, it's like a dopamine hit once they start making wins with getting these extra payments in and realizing how quickly they actually can reach their goals. From there, it's just momentum. Yeah, no, I th- I I've definitely experienced that in my own life too. Like once I started to make changes, or even like I noticed that if I said no to going out to dinner, I would take like that amount of money that I would have spent, and then I would just like put it towards the debt that I was trying to pay off. Like I would make it into a game. Yeah. In my own life. So like, it's like I had a system, but then I had like this bonus system on the side of, I want to continue to do this thing. I want to really? continue to break it down. So it didn't feel so linear of just, yes. you know, um, here's my $500. It was like, here's my $500. And mm-hmm. like this person, yes. canceled or like, you know, whether it happened, I didn't end up going to this wedding and I saved this amount of money, you know, so I'm going to put this totally. towards it. Like, you know, almost like finding, almost like finding money in places that I would have just like let go to my bank account, but throwing it towards the debt instead. Absolutely. And I, I like to set really clear goals with my clients. Um, we, we like to put timelines to things, be very specific, um, with our goals and when we want to reach them. And instead of doing just like a goal date, say there's this $10,000 credit debt that you're trying to pay out. Instead of saying, I'm going to pay it off by this day. Yes, we start with that. But I also like to challenge my clients to think about, okay, what if you reach that goal a month earlier? Do you think that is possible? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they'll think they're like, I mean, yeah, like if I get a few extra dollars here and there, yeah, I think I could reach it a month earlier. Okay, cool. Let's write that down as like just a possibility. Maybe it could happen. Um, and then I asked them, what if it's a month after or a couple mm-hmm. months after, would you still consider that a win? Yeah. Yeah, I would. Okay, cool. Let's put that number down. That way it's not a pass or fail. Um, and then I love to ask, okay, what about if a miracle happened? Like all the stars aligned and a miracle happened. What's the earliest you think you could reach this? And oftentimes they'll give me a number a few months even earlier. 
Um, and I can't tell you how many times I've actually seen that miraculous number be reached, but it's so freeing to know that like, it's not a pass or fail. It's not like a, I got to reach this goal by this day or I have failed. It's no, there's a range of outcomes that could happen and it would still be a win. And let's not rule out the fact that a miracle could literally happen and you could get this thing paid off faster than you ever thought possible. But it's a matter of just writing it down um, and being really clear with your goals and just putting in the work and being ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, that's exactly what life coaching is. It's like writing it down, being clear with what you want and then like mm-hmm. you know, working together to help get there through all the, lim- you know, all the limited beliefs. Um, Absolutely. There's a, a lot of, a lot, I've, I've seen a lot of theories on this, but I think a lot of people also have anxiety about this, about like having like a safety fund or how much money should be saved for emergencies and, I have one pr- friend in my life that he he'll always say like like six months rent yeah. in a fund, and I think there's probably a lot of ver- like variations to what that means for every single person. But if you mm-hmm. had to give like a formula for somebody to come up with what is like a safety fund or emergency fund would be, what do you usually include in that? Yeah, so there's a couple emergency funds. Um, You've got your starter emergency fund. And this is typically for me, I'll recommend to my clients that it's $1,500 to $2,000. There's a lot of advice out there that the starter emergency fund should be $1,000. And I think that's fine. Um, But with the way prices are increasing for things, I just feel more comfortable having my clients save up a little bit more. And so, yeah, they start off with $1,500 to $2,000. If you've got dependents, I say $2,000. If it's just you, a single person with... Uh, low overhead, I say around fifteen hundred, um, and then we tackle any debt um, that's weighing on them that they want to go ahead and get paid off. And once their debts paid off, then we go ahead and move forward to that fully funded emergency fund that I think you're um, referencing. And I always recommend that that is about three to six months of living expenses. So I think your friend is, I, I'm cool with that advice. Six yeah. months rent. But I like to look at it as living expenses. So really just what will cover your four walls should an absolute emergency happen where you're unable to work, something happens to your income, or you've got these major medical expenses. So three to six months of rent or mortgage, uh, transportation, clothing necessities, and Mm -hmm. food. Yeah. I think that that number, even just like, Hearing you say that, it's like amazing, like how much fear I had just like, and it's like this, I definitely have some of that put away, but it's like just thinking about it and making sure like when you're like clothing and food, it's like, yeah, that is like, it's so important to think about, but it does Mm -hmm. bring so much peace to know that it's there and that like, we're okay. Right. Cause I think that that's what this is all about. Is like when you were just you and your daughter, the whole focus Mm -hmm. was you being like you and her being okay. Right. And like yeah. that has changed in time. That is, yeah. because, you know, it's like, but I think that's kind of what's underneath like all of the, all of that safety fund is like just knowing that you'd be okay, but also having so much more confidence in your life, feeling like I'm working towards this goal. And I know that I'm all right. Yes. It's everything. And, and hopefully we never have to dig into that emergency fund. Hopefully there's never a reason to pull it out. But worst case, you know that if you've got that three to six months of living expenses, you can cut all the fat, all the other, I don't want to call it fat because all of those things are important, but anything beyond those four walls, you can cut them and you can make it 
three to six months taking care of all of the needs. And then hopefully, you know, within that time span, there's some sort of shift that can propel you forward. And and I'm all about starting with that three to six months, but even, you know, I, I like for my clients to get that three to six months as quickly as they can, yeah. and then slow down a little bit after that until they're, you know, a year or more of an emergency fund, but we're not going like crazy intense after that three to six months goal. It's slowing down a little. We're not going crazy about it. We're going to start enjoying other things in life at that point, but still continuously putting, I don't know, even like 50 bucks a month just into that emergency fund, knowing it's continuing to grow. Yeah. Yeah. I had that set up for a few different accounts and I I almost like want to like name it because I think it might be helpful for other people that like don't do this, but I've always done this. I've because I know that I won't realize if ten dollars is missing, if twenty dollars is yep. missing. You know, I totally. have automatic transfers that go, and I've always saved money for travel. I've been doing that my whole life. I have credit cards that build up travel points so that way I can fly for free. Mm-hmm. But and I like I have practices around like paying them off and all of that jazz. But totally. I also like I've always put like my daughter, I uh, I always contribute to a 529 for her. I have a separate account mm-hmm. for her just in case college is not what she wants to do. There's other funds available in some way, but it's yeah. like, okay, 20 bucks here, $50 here. The travel fund gets the money. My savings account gets a certain amount. Yes. And I, I really and truly don't notice it because it's been going on for so long that it's mm-hmm. just part of who, like part of just my makeup. Absolutely. Um, is that something that you ever recommend to people of just like having some automatic transfers to accounts just to have these things, like allow these accounts to grow? Very much so. Yeah. That's every single client we set up, we like to call them sinking funds. Hmm. There's major expenses that come into people's lives and they can be random and they can be non-reoccurring. Like for you, travel, that's a non-reoccurring expense for you. You're not traveling every single day. You're not traveling every single month. I mean, how often would you say that you travel? Often. Often. <laughs> yeah. My daughter's now in kindergarten, so we're stuck to the school schedule. When we weren't, we were traveling more. But I would say that like that's the one thing that fuels my soul. It's like the one yeah. thing that makes me feel like me. And I we've been all over the world. So I would say mm-hmm. and I'm paying for two people, you know, yeah. like mom, it's always me and her. So I would say What's a realistic school thing? I would say we probably go on four to five trips a year with a few weekends. Awesome. So we'll say quarterly, you have this travel expense and traveling is expensive. And so if you're not saving up for those things, if it's like, okay, I'm going to go travel. I haven't really been saving up for it, but here we go because it's Mm -hmm. important. It means a lot to the fulfillment of my life, my best life. This is what we're going to do. Awesome. But if you're not saving up for it, that can derail a lot of people. So I'm all about taking these non-recurring, exactly what you're saying, these non-recurring, really big big expenses, breaking them down into what I like to call monthly bills, and just setting those aside in a saving account every single month. So say you're spending a couple thousand dollars a quarter on a trip. Well, $2,000 divided by three, that would be you know three months of savings. Let's set that aside every month. So we can go on this trip and it feels less straining. So yes, automatic um, transfers into saving accounts. I am here for it. And like you said, it just becomes a part of your financial DNA and you don't really notice it's happening once you get into the rhythm. Yeah. But the feeling that I have when I look at my like the account I have for my daughter that I've had since 
I found out I was pregnant. Yeah. Like there's been some like medical expenses and things like that, that I've had to pull out from. Mm -hmm. I took her to Disney and I took like a little bit of money to put towards that. But I also had like, I'm a big fan of like points, using points for things, Mm -hmm. but that's a whole other story. But I just felt so proud. Like sometimes like I look at that account, which I barely ever realize, like remember exists. And I feel really proud that she has like a few thousand dollars, you know? Um, And I've also like all her gifts that she's ever gotten Mm -hmm. are in there too. And it mm-hmm. makes me feel like I'm I'm helping her yes. in some way. And if we yes. have, and if she ever needs that money for something, mm-hmm. you know, it's and I'm I'm gonna instill like the goals and everything in her, you know, or like values in her around that. Yeah. But if she ever, but if anything ever happens, you know, if like she needs that money for something, she'll have it. And by the time that mm-hmm. she gets it, it's good, you know. But she also yes. knows about it. Like I love that too. Like she knows when she gets a gift and it's a check, she knows where it goes. That's so fun. So she's already probably subconsciously making plans, you know, to dreaming and all of that. And yes, I love that. And yes, it feels so good to be building up this fund and it's going, and and every time you pull out of it to fund something for her, like you said, it feels so good. You're filled with peace and happiness and joy doing it. It's not reactive spending. It's not something that's going to negatively affect anything else, Mm -hmm. um, any other part of your finances, because this is something that you have proactively and intentionally been saving up for and planning up for. And yes, it just tastes so good. It tastes differently when you're able to just spend that lump sum of money knowing that you were intentional about it and it's not affecting anything else. Yeah. yeah I love it, it. takes away the guilt, like that, that yeah. guilty feeling of, oh, I shouldn't mm-hmm. be doing this. Like Disney, right? It's like, oh, mm-hmm. I shouldn't be doing this. It's like, well, why shouldn't I? You know, it like, yeah. it creates these other questions of, no, I can Absolutely. because, yeah. And then that's when the confidence comes in. So yeah. I know we're like, we're short on time. I feel like I could go for another half and a half an hour. Man, me too. I nerd out all these, <laughs> over these yeah. conversations. <laughs> But, and so maybe what we can do like in a few months is do like a little bit of a part two and break things down a little bit more. But before we end, at least on this one, I would love for you to be able to share with people how they can find you. You mentioned YouTube. So if you do post on YouTube, like please share that. And I will include all your links in the show notes so people don't have to write anything down, but they could just click. Yeah, absolutely. We do have a YouTube channel. It's called Craig Dacey Financial Coaching. And then you can also find me on craigdaceyfinancialcoaching.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for joining me. Yes. Thank you, Jessica. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. 